it's about slowness so that you never glorify being that busy again. That's what this time taught me is like sometimes people in the arts, I'm guilty of it too. We, we measure our success on how much booked we are or how much we're having to juggle a million things. And this period of time has taught me like, fuck that, it's not sustainable. It was never sustainable and I don't want to go back to it. Hello and welcome to episode three of The Queer Gaze, a new podcast series produced and hosted by myself, Ashley Owen, and supported by Homotopia. Each week I have the absolute pleasure of gabbing to incredible and inspiring LGBTQIA plus artists from around the UK about their lives, careers and thoughts about queer representation in the arts. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by an amazing theatre company who was selected for Homotopia's Queer Core programme this year. And then you'll be back with all your queer art and artist recommendations. This week, my main guest is the Travis Alabanza. Let me tell you, we had a hoot. You're in for such a treat right now, so I'll leave you to listen right away. Enjoy! Hi Travis, I'm so happy that you're here and that I have a chance to interview you today. Uh, We've met a couple of times through Homotopia and also through the wonderful Scotty, who might also be a guest. I'm not going to disclose that just yet. (laughs) Um, I guess the first question I want to ask you right now is how are you doing? Well, I'm a lot worse hearing that Scotty's going to be a guest. I would have cancelled if I knew that. (laughs) I'm on a Scotty ban. I'm sorry, Scotty. If you're hearing this after, I don't want to partake anymore. I should have asked for a disclosure of a list. (laughs) No, I am doing good. Even better hearing that Scotty's on the list. You know what? I'm doing better doing this because, like, I just feel like, you know, we keep on saying lockdown in this time. But as we all know, we've all had completely unique experiences and our own trials and tribulations, ups and downs, privileges, disadvantages in this time. But I felt so disconnected from a big part of myself that I actually associate, have vivid memories of homotopia with. Like that part of me that loves meeting people, loves performing. I haven't felt that for for a year or so. So I feel happy having this because it brought back all these great memories, you know? Oh my gosh, that makes me feel so happy. So I don't know how comfortable you are with people knowing your age, but... You're still quite a youngin. I'm a baby. You're a little baba. Some of the things that you've achieved in your career so far are just incredible. I feel sick. I'm insecure. Um, (laughs) I feel sick too. (laughs) So did you always know that you wanted to be an artist, performer and writer? Absolutely not. I didn't know. I didn't really know I was even like two years into it, really. Like I still, (laughs) yeah, like I still stumbled over the word for a long time. I didn't really know that my job existed, right? Like, I knew that I loved being on stage. Like, I found out that I loved being on stage at 12, 13, when I was in the school panto. I played the witch, and I just was obsessed with it. But I thought that the only way you could do that was then to be, like, a famous actor. That was my only example of, like, stage, because I didn't have a theatre place near me. We didn't go to the theatre. I didn't know that, like, live art or artists... So I kind of gave up around like 15 because I was like, well, I'm not going to be famous. I'm not going to be a famous actor. There's no other way to be creative, which sounds weird looking back on. But like, I guess if you're from a place where 
there isn't loads of artists around you then you don't know that this weird job exists where like yeah you can make stuff you know so no I didn't always know but I'm very grateful that I found it absolutely and so are we you know that we we have you in our lives um so what were you like as a child depends who you ask my mum would say my mum would say I was a saint my teachers would say I was a fucking nightmare um, <laughs> <laughs> um you know it depends what age I went through a lot of changes like really distinct ages like I was really shy and didn't speak a lot until like 12 13 and then suddenly when I found my like gender expression quite young really and I had a big growth spurt <laughs> and I suddenly was like I'm that bitch, you know? Like, I was like, here we go. And my mum always says it, like, I didn't speak until I was like, I think my mum said I didn't say my first word until I was like four. And so she was really worried. She said, what's wrong with my child? Like, they're not talking. And then she always says, well, they caught up with it in teenager. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was, I, I think I faked a lot of confidence though, if I'm honest. I'm realising that now as I like settle into kind of 25 I'm saying it as if that's OAP but like I'm learning that a lot of that kind of outward energy was like a protection like you know I was quite sassy quite loud quick on a comeback but probably because I was a big screaming fag on a council estate do you know what I mean <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so you gotta be you gotta, you be. gotta be it's 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 self-protection isn't it it's sort of like yeah. yeah so could you tell us a little bit about your journey into the arts and getting to where you are today oh I always love this question because I never know I'm trying to pick new stories do you know what I mean like I guess actually because you mentioned Scotty I'll talk about Scotty Scotty was actually my first paid professional job in a theatre on payroll um, for putting words in your mouth, his lip sync show where he auditioned, he interviewed LGBTQ people that happened to also be racist. And then the show had queer people of colour lip syncing and talking back to that. And that was my first time learning about a rehearsal room, about structure, about like that. But before that, my way in was the clubs. I was working in like queer performance clubs, the RVT, her upstairs, doing like little shows like that. That was kind of my way in. I don't really know what I was doing, but I was doing something on a stage. (laughs) And I guess people just started to kind of take notice and thought that what I was saying was they wanted to hear. I was supported by like different collectives. So like I was part of the Young Barbican Young Poets group, then like Cocoa Butter Club, like all these kind of initiatives that were starting to platform and showcase different voices and so yeah it was my week as like an artist looked very different to it does now like it would be you know six shows a week for a 10 minute slot at a club night for like 30 pound that I'd then spend on my drinks um and that was kind of yeah that was kind of my way in to making stuff yeah oh amazing and so what what inspires you to make the work that you create now um god it sounds really basic but just imagination like I think that why I like to make work is because I am quite a naturally depressed person. I'm someone that finds like reality really, really hard to deal with. Um, You know, my friends that know me know that I go through quite intimate and quite recluse stages of really bad mental health. And it's because of my like deep care for like a better world. And so the reason I make work, I think, is because I get to imagine a different reality I get to create another possibility where I don't feel as bleak. 
And it's weird because people sometimes comment on my work feeling like heavy or traumatic or hard. But I always wonder if like for who? Yeah. Because actually for me, it does the opposite. Mm. Like if I think about Homotopian Burgers, that show to so many people was really emotional, really hard, really draining. But actually for me as a gender non-conforming person, a gender non-conforming black person, I got to experience an hour every night where I was in control of a white man. Yeah. Where I could be in control of my narrative, where I could choose the end of the story. If I go out on the streets, I'm stripped of that control. So performance for me is about experiencing something else that's mm-hmm. different to our reality. And that's mm-hmm. why I love it. And it, it's sort of like on your terms. Exactly. And like, even like seeing the young people that you did the amazing work with at um, the showcase the next year at Homotopia. Those young people might be punished for the same expression that they're now being celebrated for on stage. You know, like maybe if they express themselves in that way at school, they would be told to quieten down. Whereas you go to the stage and you're like, this bit of you is incredible. Yeah. Like this bit that we're going to stamp out in society is the exact bit that's now going to make this show amazing. And I love that about making work. And now my, now the topics of my work that I'm making at the moment are shifting a bit from what I've talked about before, but it's still that same core of here's this emotion that in real life would be punished, but on stage it's going to make this the best thing ever, you know? So do you have a career highlight so far? Or what is your favourite type of work to do? Uh, this is my career highlight so far. <laughs> oh my God, can I have that in writing? <laughs> That's going to be a quote, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, Travis Alabanza. This podcast was my career fucking highlight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know if I have just one, if I'm honest. I don't know. I think it changes as well, depending on what I need. Yeah. But I do think that for me, if I can pick a selfish one, you know, sometimes people want like a Nobel Peace Prize answer. If I'm given a selfish one, Edinburgh Fringe probably was my biggest career highlight because... When I was younger, I remember not getting into Bristol Old Vic Theatre School because we didn't have the money. And all the people that were there would get to take their show up to Edinburgh Fringe and they'd come back and they'd talk about it. And I'd always be like, this sounds amazing. I'm never going to go. And then to then go and have my show kind of slam it, to be honest, like really just slam dunk it. It was just amazing. And I didn't feel any like, I don't know, it was the first time actually in my whole time of doing burgers where I didn't feel any doubt. I just was enjoying every moment. So that was my highlight. Oh, yes. So how did you discover your queerness? Could you talk a little bit about coming to terms with your queerness and being non-binary? Oh, well, I think I'm still coming to terms with my queerness every day. I think that like I'm still on the journey of like, figuring out what it means, what the compromises are, what the benefits, all of these different things as it changes and shifts. The same with my gender. I'm constantly having to renegotiate the terms that I'm on with it. But I would say that when I was younger, I didn't really realise until later on that what I was doing could be considered something shameful. I just was like, this is what I'm doing. And then it wasn't until I met other people's responses that I actually felt a reckoning with what the choices were. Because my mum was so supportive, I didn't really think anything I was doing was bad. It wasn't until we went outside and our community or da 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 would make me feel like, ah. Oh. And I think, I think 
the way I came to terms with it is maybe similar to the thing I mentioned at the beginning about what I was like when I was younger is I put on lots of armour and overcompensated to then find myself. I think I don't have any answer. I think I'm like figuring it out. When I got to the clubs in London, I was like, oh, this is coming to terms with it because we're having loads more fun. Like finding the arts, finding all of that, like helped me be like, this isn't something I need to come to terms with. This is something I'm like grateful for. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, thank fuck I'm this, you know, (laughs) thank fuck. How big of an influence does identity play into your practice? Loads, loads. I think at the beginning, I think it's moving in a different place. But at the beginning, it was, it was everything, really. I was, I was trying to find my voice. And I was so tired of the conversation around so many different things being dominated by certain identities, whether that's harassment and only it being dominated by white cisgender people, or whether that be the trans conversation and only dominated by whiteness, or whether that be the black racial conversation, only be dominated by cisness. And I was like, hello, hi, like, this is a thing. I I think I can bring them all together. Like, let me. And yeah, my identity affects a lot of it as well, because for me personally, the way to connect to bigger political conversations is to go to the personal first. And so I wanted to connect with lots of people. So I knew that I had to go, I had to go in first, like show vulnerability so other people can meet you somewhere. And so, yeah, it's a big part. I'm so motivated because I want to like be in a position where I can hire like 20 black trans people to make a show because a place is like giving me that kind of responsibility. You know, like everyone says, oh, well done and where you're at. I'm like, no, no, no. Like I can see that the point, you know, I want our TV screens and BBC to be like filled of black trans gender non-conforming stuff. I want us not to just have to look to Pose or the US for like our snippets of representation. And so my identity pushes that forward, you know? Yeah, I can't stop smiling. I'm, I'm uh, I feel like I look really creepy. I'm just like, no. well, everything you say, and I'm like, oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> We've spoke a little bit about burgers. I want to talk a little bit more, if that's okay. I just thought it was incredible. I saw it at the Hope Street Theatre, um, which you performed as part of Homotopia a few years back. Could you tell us how the show came about and what the process of making it was like? Yeah. Um, Well, Homotopia was such a good one because it was the last one of that tour before it had gotten like a bit fancy. And we were all like lost our brain cells by the end of it. And so I remember that (laughs) we were going into the Hope Theatre and we were way behind on tech. And they were like, audience are outside. And we were like, we haven't figured out if the drop's going to work and da da da. And we were just busy lip syncing. So I always remember that show because we were just, all of our team had just cracked. And I loved it. Um, <laughs> and Liverpool does that to me. Like, it really does. Because any time I'm on, like, I feel like because I've had so many nights out in Liverpool that end in that kind of energy. <laughs> if I'm bringing a theatre show there... I've got to bring that energy too. I'm like, do you know what I mean? There's only one way for Liverpool. There's only one way. I'm like, I'm going to do the piece of sick that I did in a bin two years earlier. Proud tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But what was the question? Why I love Liverpool? No, that wasn't it, was it? (laughs) It was, when are you moving to Liverpool? (laughs) That's it. ASAP. ASAP. No, it's about burgers, wasn't it? Process. Yeah. How it came about and what the process was like. Right. Oh, actually, yeah, this is quite good for any, like, makers, I guess. I think there's this weird thing at the moment that's happening in theatre where, like, 
everyone thinks a commission is the only way you can do something. Oh, I've got to like have this really official, like a theatre's brought me in. Like everyone's always asking when a theatre's going to bring me in, when a theatre's going to bring me in. And you know, Burgers was never commissioned by a theatre or a place. Yeah. I had a burger thrown at me. It was kind of a breaking point for me and my harassment. Like I'd been getting harassed nonstop in London because at this time in my life in London, you know, in 2016, I was wearing short dresses all the time, leg hair, I had a bit of a beard. Like I was really doing that phase of like, I'm not going to edit any part of myself despite the amount of violence. But you receive hype, you know, it's, it's nonstop when you go out like that. And then the burger was thrown at me and I just remember being like, this is too surreal. This is too not okay. And so I started doing these God awful performances in clubs where I had like burgers projected on the screen. I was doing weird stuff where I'd like sit in lip sync whilst eating a burger. A a poem would be about like literally something else and I'd maybe bring a burger into the thing. And I remember my friend going, I keep on bringing burgers into like everything. Is there something that you need to do? And I was like, you know what? Yeah. (laughs) And so I was like, right, none of the burgers are fitting in any of my other work. Let me make a show about this thing. And so Hackney Showroom had basically been seeing me do these weird stuff in clubs and were like, have you thought about theatre? And I said, no, I don't know how to write a play. And they were like, that's fine. We'll help you. And they basically said, go away and do what you think is a play and come back to us. Like, here's, you know, 200 quid maybe. Go away and do your version of Burgers and then we'll see and pick up the conversation. And that was a year and a half before Burgers then first premiered. Yeah. And they invested all this time into me learning the ropes, growing as an artist. All these other theatres had ignored me and said no. And all these other theatres said the idea was a bit off. Theatres that then wanted to book it, but whatever. Um, And Hackney Showroom said, no, we like love that you're trying to do something. And we want to help you take 10 minutes from the club and learn how to hold a place for an hour. And so that was kind of the start of it, you know. I'm forever indebted to Hackney Showroom because they continue to just, they're not trying to change artists. They're not trying to turn artists into theatre artists. They're saying these people that are in the clubs are incredible artists. And if they want, they deserve time and space to make something longer than 10 minutes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's what I love about them. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I don't want to bring this up, but I'm going to. I am really upset that you didn't cast me as the burger because <laughs> I have a burger costume because I won Scotty's Hamburger Queen. Don't know if you know that about me. I've got a full costume and I would have killed that role. And you're lost, Travis. That's all I want to say. Well, look, Burgers doesn't have any UK dates planned, but we do have some international dates coming I've up. I've got a passport. If your burger can get... Okay, well, perfect. That's all I was going to say. You don't need to go in the props luggage. We'll bring you out front. <laughs> we'll bring you out front. Oh, my God. Name your condiment of choice and we're in. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking to royalty. I know. I can't believe I'm talking to royalty of the Hamburger Queen. I, I try not to bring it up too much, Travis, because people change around me and I just want a normal life. <laughs> so burgers is obviously an extremely personal and sensitive piece of work but as part of it each night you invited a male cis heterosexual member of the audience onto the stage which felt very bold and exciting from an audience's point of view 
on the night that I was there, the guy really struggled to cut onions and cook burgers, which was both hilarious and so frustrating to watch. (laughs) So what was it like inviting a stranger to be on stage with you every single night? Oh my God, I forgot that that was that show. And it's the show I reference a lot because that man was... And didn't he also say that he was a chef? Yeah. And then he couldn't cut onions and I was like, you're a liar. (laughs) You know, another man having to come up and help him. Oh my God. But everyone after was like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, that's perfect. That's the show. Like, yeah. what was it like? I can't lie. So sometimes where it was really dangerous. Well, not all the time. There was one time specifically where like I was touched inappropriately, you know? And there was, I think about that time, but then I also think about how when I made the decision to do it with the man, I knew the risks because it's real. Male danger is real. And so most of the time, it's what made this show doable to do every night. Everyone says, oh, it must be exhausting. I'm like, if it was just me telling my story every night, I wouldn't have done it that many times. Because every night, there's two things happening. One, I'm gifted with another person that I have to meet in the moment. So it forces me to be present. I can't treat every man the same because the man at Liverpool is completely different to the overly confident businessman that comes to him, who's so different to the granddad that volunteers another time. And so you have to be present. But the other thing is that if the man wasn't there, I'm using the man. Cal surprise, I'm using him. You know, for all the times he's used us, I'm using him. But like, if the man wasn't there, you wouldn't get to see, I don't think, all my other skills that aren't just trauma. The show would just be about my trauma. Whereas I think what the man lets me do is show that I can make a joke, show that I like know how to be quick on my feet, show that I've worked in a bath loads of times. It shows all these other parts of myself that make me really proud. Yeah. And so... I only see the challenge of the man as like the best thing every night. There are some times, if it's like your seventh show of the week, where you're like, I'm just praying to have an easy guy. And then you get the most difficult guy. Yeah. And you're like, and then you're like, actually, this makes me feel alive. No need to take drugs before my show Mm -hmm. because the man will make you feel off your face. (laughs) You know? But that's what I loved because obviously everything you were saying is so infuriating. You know, it's so powerful. And then there's this like fella on the stage who can't cut an onion and we're all like, come on! (laughs) Yeah! The men's helped do a lot of the imagery for me because I felt like without the man, you get my experience, but you don't understand that a lot of the part of being gender non-conforming is unfortunately in our relationship to cisgender people. And so sometimes the men would complete the image for me. Mm-hmm. It's hard being that in love with a show. Like I'm in love with it. Me too. Everything I've made since I've been like, oh no, like, like oh no. And it's tough. Cause I'm like, oh no, did I hit my peak at 23? Fuck. <laughs> um, so I look forward to getting Arts Council grant for Veggie Burger Part 2. <laughs> Amazing. I, I can make a costume for that one. I don't mind. I've actually gone vegetarian, Travis. It's meant to be. Oh my God, shit. There you go. You're just fitting every role. I'm so versatile as a burger. <laughs> I feel like I've just gone so far with this joke now. Just calm down, Ashley. It. We get it. We I get love it. it. <laughs> Could you talk about some challenges that you faced within the arts? Oh, so I'm facing one now. I'll just be I'll just speak to the one I'm facing now. No, no, not this in this specific moment. This is <laughs> I was like, oh my god, what have I done? 
<laughs> I'm facing one now. How to get over a fucking podcast? No, no, I'm facing one like as in like now this time span. I'm facing one now because uh, this idea of like emerging emerged, lifted not lifted glass ceilings, and I really feel it right now because you know I had this moment of burgers and like people being excited because it's this new voice. And then really wondering what happens to like particularly black trans talent that we nurture them to help them not just reach a first hit, but like how do we help them also have larger commissions and things like that, you know? I kind of thought that post burgers, I'd have all these different theatres going, we want you to write a play for us, we want you to da 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 da, but still not really the tea a lot, you know? And the challenge then for me is to like remind myself that whiteness, cisness, middle-classness gives you that ability to to lay back. How do you know as your identities that you might always have to hustle? So how do you pace that hustle? Because I started to doubt myself after burgers being like, how do I sustain myself? How do I do this? How do I do that? And now my challenge is to pause and go, let me worry about what I'm doing for me and what I enjoy. Burgers were so natural because you enjoyed it. You didn't have a clue about how theatre worked. You didn't have a clue about all of that. You were just making a show. Yeah. And I think the challenge is to find that again, to not get too wrapped up in the ecology of theatre or all of that. That kind of flows into my next question. So what are you currently working on or what can we expect from you in the future? Um, I'm working on my mental health. So you can expect a more stable version of me post-shows with one drink in hand. (laughs) One drink in hand rather than two. Um... I guess I'm after overflow at the bush. I really loved the freedom I had from writing and not being on stage. Yeah. Um, and being hidden and just being able to craft that. So I'm in development at um, a theatre at the moment, writing another play that I'm not in with multiple trans characters. And it's about a sleepover that is happening at the same time as the end of the world. And the trans girls have to decide whether to go out and save mankind or actually just to carry on painting their nails. And so I'm writing that at the moment. Wow. And it's uh, to the soundtrack of Sugar Babes. Um, and I'm loving that. <sighs> but I do miss being on stage. I'm working with Hackney Showroom still because I didn't really want to leave anyone else. And um, we're looking at making a dance show that involves my mum. Wow. Yeah, so it's about single mothers and it's about growing up on a council estate and like when your mum no longer has her identity and becomes just your mum, what does she do when she's retiring and how does she find herself again? Um, And her option for that was to join a dance show with her kid. (laughs) Um, So uh, yeah, so I'm working on those two things at the moment, slowly. The main word is slow, slow you know look after yourself get your mental health on track and then there's loads in store in the future it's about slowness so that you never glorify being that busy again yeah that's what this time taught me is like sometimes people in the arts I'm guilty of it too we we measure our success on how much booked we are or how much we're having to juggle a million things and this period of time has taught me like fuck that it's not sustainable it was never sustainable and I don't want to go back to it you know yeah and so slow is the word Slows the word. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What would you like to see more of in the arts? Less lines. And what I mean by less lines is I think that we over-label our craft and profession to the point that there's not enough merging of forms happening. 
And so I'd love to see more people feel like they can jump between different spaces, just depending on how they want to creatively un- like express themselves. I want to see more money go into club culture and nightlife and giving like the artists that are creating cutting edge performance outside of theatres, the funding that theatres get too. I want to see club nights being given development periods, R&Ds, given the chance to like have time to work on their work and paid for by funding organisations because they're vital parts of all of our arts ecology. I want to see more young people being treated like they can lead projects, not just be participants in them. Yeah. And feel like they can create with like an ownership. That's, that's, yeah, those are my, those are my headlines. What, what, what about you? I want to hear it from, I know I'm meant to be ask, answering the questions, but I need to hear that question from someone else. I want to hear from you. <laughs> I just think more of me, just more of me. <laughs> Travis, you can't interview me. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know. It was a nice it was a nice question, and I've purposely not chatted to another artist for years. So I needed to hear your answer too. I I just think less cis white people and just yeah, overhaul the whole thing, start again. <laughs> Why are queer voices in the arts so important? Loads of ways you could go with it, but let me be disruptive and say that it's not even just queer art artists being important in the arts. It's actually there wouldn't be the arts without queerness. It's actually that like the arts would not exist without queer people, period. Like the language, the scenery, the fashion, the culture, the trends, all of them come from so many different aspects of queer stuff. So it's more the question of like the straights earning their place in a culture that we kind of set a lot of the rules from. Even when straight, like straight people that aren't queer write work, you can see queer influences embedded in so much, whether they tell you or not. Queer voices are important, not just off of the grounds of something, you know, like inclusion and letting us be heard and all these things that I I say in that tone, but like are important. It's actually important because otherwise the arts would be fucking boring. You know, actually, you wouldn't have the culture without us. Yeah. You know, like, we keep the arts alive. I think about the National Theatre and, like, the South Bank, right? I've not been performed at the National Theatre, but I've been, you know, performed at South Bank. And I think about how during Pride Month, they get the stages out and they host all of the queer London cabaret scene on those stages and it's packed. It's packed, it's busy, it brings them money, it brings them culture, it brings them all these people. It brings them people from different backgrounds. It brings people from different classes. All of that is empowered from queerness coming together. Mm -hmm. And then you go to a normal season and you see these theatres do six panel sessions, seven surveys and four internal meetings to try and figure out how to get one poor person into their theatre. You go, actually, queers are powering and pushing it through. You need us because we'll keep you relevant. Yeah. You know, so that's why. We're the, we're the moment. We're the thing. Always. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most useful piece of advice that you could give to emerging queer artists out there? I can never just give one answer. So I'll give the sensible anti-advancer first. And I'll say, one, learn really quickly that you're not the first. I wish that I reminded myself that, that actually when you're on this emerge, 
pull back to, look back to, think back to. It's only going to make your art better. It's only going to make your community stronger. It's going to de-individualize queerness and remind you that you're part of these connections and people that you can learn about. And then number two, I would say that you don't need the validation from institutions in order to make good work. They'll catch up if they want to catch up. Mm-hmm. But actually, you can just make work because you want to make it and follow that instinct. And don't get bogged down with someone else's approval of your aesthetic, your work, your art. You know? Because so many people that then praised burgers two years later fucking hated it when they got sent it. Yeah. So if I waited on people's approval... I wouldn't have made the show. Thank you so, so, so much for letting me pick your brains today. I adore you. You're incredible. I adore you. I bow down. You are everything and more. Mutual. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This has been lovely. Yay. Could you please tell our listener how they could possibly connect with you on social media? So my PayPal link... No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm Travis Alabanza everywhere unfortunately. Um, And at the moment, no one else comes up when you Google it. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, my love. Thank you. Big, big love. We're going to do drinks when Liverpool is homotopia next time it's happening in the flash. My sick will be next to yours where it belongs. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye, babe. Bye. I love them so much. My face literally hurts after chatting to Travis. Okay, on to the next part, our spotlight on section. Let's hear from the theatre company I'm mentoring this year, Flood Theatre. We are Becky and Jess of Flood Theatre and that's what we do, Flood Theatre. We run the theatre company and we make work that directly engages with people and tries to reach out to communities and create authentic work that is fun and colourful. Mm -hmm. Very colourful. What's important to us is that an element of our work is interactive, be it the way a piece is constructed from interviews or is it that we meet with community groups is it that an element of that performance feels in some way like interactive with sort of the people around it? We're sort of constantly looking at how we can bring people in, in that sense, be it the process or like the performance itself. We just sort of started the company because we were really tired of trying to fit into other people's boxes all the time, really, and mm-hmm. not be able to kind of get behind any work that was really important to us because we either you know weren't big enough names or it wasn't exactly where our heart lay or like that kind of thing so the sort of ethos of why we're doing it is just to sort of work on the ground a little bit more and you know is about people really and collecting people's different experiences and telling stories essentially yeah, so we sort of kicked it off in January with an R&D of a play that Becky's in the process of writing called Kaleidoscope. Um, we did an R&D with a, a drama school in London called London College of Music. 
Yeah, so we did an R&D on Zoom, which was really, really useful because we were sort of forced to adapt our practice to the online. And I think we did a really good job of it, which, of course, has um, informed other processes that have had to take place online. We received some Arts Council funding for that project. And as part of that project, we also ran a project called Queer Women, which was a six-week development programme geared towards working with queer women in Liverpool and just to sort of taking steps to cultivate queer creativity by sort of learning from local queer artists. And that was a really, really gorgeous project, which was also delivered on Zoom. But I think we managed to create a really vulnerable and special place, albeit online. And something that we're looking at more recently is uh, kind of having that last part of that process be in person, fingers crossed, and for that to be a sort of sharing of all the art that we made in those few weeks that we had together. That was our baby, really. And it was, yeah, it was for people who identify as women or who have previously identified as women or are gender fluid and have some kind of relation to the female experience. And ultimately, I think it was, it kind of stemmed from us sort of wanting, I suppose, selfishly wanting a space for ourselves to create as well, to meet other people like us in a safe space. Because I think very often, you know, when you are uh, some kind of what's the word I'm looking for oh yeah like when you're when you're a sapphic you you're sort of like excluded I think a little bit like from certain spaces in terms of like not intentionally but it's just everything's sort of geared around male gaze a lot of the time is what I'm trying to say and I think one of the things that we wanted to do was just create a space that was completely devoid of that if we could and so that people could create freely and get in touch with their queerness in a a safe space and yeah just kind of get to know themselves a bit more and yeah make work that was important to them and we kind of didn't know I think how special it was going to be when we started it which was really cool because it sort of started off being like this will be a continuation of this R&D that we had about Kaleidoscope which essentially is like a play about about the intersections of sexuality and and faith and how people grow up in households that maybe don't necessarily accept them and you know where do you find the line between what you believe the world is and what you believe of yourself and like those kinds of things and we sort of came out of the London College of Music R&D with all of these you know great ideas for what we wanted to bring home and what we wanted to discuss and how we wanted to build the workshops then and then when we came into it it, even after like planning the workshops and we looked into which creatives would be good to explore like specific topics and stuff and how we could get kind of as much of a range as possible and also how we could kind of get a lot of representation as well like different types of queerness and different types of creativity and I think because we sort of gave over to that it was just a completely it was a completely different thing to what we'd set it out to be but in the most wonderful way like it was just boss and it we just sort of like it just became our participants project then which I think is 
is the best thing that you can hope for really so yeah it'll be really cool to hopefully share with everybody in person what came out of that as artists what we'd like to achieve is just communicating with other people who might need to be communicated with in the sort of simplest terms of like what we want to do I guess like I always think that like theatre can be one of two things and I think maybe like one of them is what people think theatre is (laughs) like you know where you see it as this kind of like maybe straight white thin you know wealthily well-funded productions of stuff that only happens in London maybe and is a bit inaccessible and then the other side of theatre I think is the conversations that go on in people's living rooms the the stuff that you talk about when you're on a night out or the stuff that you think about when you go on your your walk and it's just these it's just basically a way of making conversations with people that are important I think one of the reasons that me and Jess wanted to start this company was because we wanted to be able to create a platform where we could have those conversations with people and we could make work that engages people who maybe wouldn't necessarily have a space or, you know, wouldn't necessarily openly talk about things that are important to them and just sort of create from there, really, because I I think it's kind of an on the ground company and I hope that it stays that way as well I think we just want it we just want to bring a bit more play and a bit more chat (laughs) yeah whilst also making really beautiful compelling art I think is I think the, the you can do the two I think is what we're really keen on doing is making really colorful and chaotic moments on stage but like I don't know, keeping like that element that like Beck's talking about of like, don't know, it feeling on the ground and it feeling sort of like it belongs to the people who are like beyond the doors of like the theatre it's playing out to and, and things like that. Aren't they fab? I'm loving working with them at the minute. Okay, so here's the part I look forward to the most hearing your recommendations of LGBTQIA plus art that you are loving or inspired by right now. As usual, stick around for the number so you can leave us a voice note with yours. The inspiring thing that I feel like I've seen lately, um, and probably most other people, is Feel Good by Mae Martin. Um, what a queer romp. Um, not not fun in the sun, always, you know, a good comedic, tragic comedy situation. Um, but wow, how well written, how well performed, how how all-encompassingly whole. It's amazing. Um, and I would just like to pass that on to um any of your any of your listeners who may wish to also engage in such a queer romp. Um along with that, I also send my love and Hopefully we'll see you very soon. You wanted to know who I've been loving recently art artist wise. So um, as always, Scott is fat. Love, love, love. After the tone. Amazing. Also love his work. Um, his partner's work's also amazing. James Unsworth. Big shout out. Love it. That's in terms of like artist performances, writing wise. 
Not so sure. Activist-wise, though, love Mamro Bugdoff, as per. Um, and, yeah, that's pretty much it. Hey, Ash. I'm really loving Ollie Alexander at the moment, as I've rediscovered years and years and have been listening to their communion album literally non-stop. Hi, Ashley. The artist I've been loving recently is Kay Tempest. They have written the most incredible book, manifesto, creative scripture. It's entitled On Connection. And it's all about finding connection in the disconnected state, whether that's with other people, whether that's with your own creativity. One of the quotes that really stays with me is that in a disconnected state, self-awareness is the first frequency that is pulled out and muted. And they go on to preface every chapter with uh, a William Blake quote because they are so invested in the mysticism and it's just really inspiring. A lot of people might know Kay Tempest and previously as Kate Tempest who has incredible work such as the Book of Traps and Lessons and has won multiple awards but I would really um, recommend and encourage people to read On Connection because it is a little bit of hope in a post-COVID world um, that we can find a way back to each other by just trusting in our own creative connections. If you want to tell us what you're loving at the minute, WhatsApp us a voice note. Our number is 07880-567-768. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out previous episodes one and two if you haven't already. And if you're enjoying the series, give us a gorgeous review and help us get the word out. If you want to connect with Homotopia or myself on the socials, check the description below. This has been The Queer Gaze. I've been Ashley Owen and I imagine I still will be next week when we're back with another episode. This podcast is supported by Homotopia, so a huge thank you to them and to Lotierney for the artwork. And I'll see you next week. Ta-da!